Our scripture reading today is found in the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. That's Acts 16, 1 through 15. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Aaron, Christy, kids, it's great to have you back in your Pasadena home. Usually they live a long ways away from here, and you'll hear a little bit more about that. And Aaron, I've got really bad news. You pronounced all those cities so well that you just upped the ante. So next time we have you do this, we're going to find the most complex passage we can and keep testing you, brother, to see what you really got. Uh, I don't have any idea what you've been thinking about this week, but I've been thinking way too much about trying to understand spiritual signs. Now, uh, Pastor Greg's on vacation for a couple weeks, but when he preaches, if you bump into him during the week, I guarantee you, you're going to hear about whatever passage he's going to be preaching on. And I see a bunch of you out there nodding your heads because you know this. Whether you meet him, at, meet him at Trader Joe or in a hallway here, he just says, so what do you think about this? I'm thinking about, did you read this yet? I want to talk to you about this. He's just always looking for input. He's ruminating on this stuff all the time. Well, I found myself having some Pastor Greg moments this week. And I couldn't get this spiritual sign stuff out of my head. And one day after working way too long, uh, I 
got a little whimsical, I guess, and I, I, I googled the term road signs, because I was wondering, is, is the world as confused in the physical realm about signage as we can be in the spiritual realm about signage? So, well, take a look at some of what I found. Starting with this. This is what we call technically a no-win situation, unless you're the local police department, in which case you're writing tickets all day, right? How about this one? Now, the more I thought about this, if you were like a liability personal injury lawyer, you'd hire some college kid to sit right near that intersection because you'd be getting clients all day long. That's crazy. Next one. Now, you know, there are religions who say all paths lead somewhere. Apparently, this is one of those places where if you're looking for direction, uh, good news is you probably can't miss the path, but I don't know what to make, really. That's not really helpful. Um, and then they continue to get, well, a little more abstract. <laughs> Don't you love the honesty, though, of that? And some of us, I'm pretty sure that's the road at 395 going through Mojave. And you know what? We know that that's pretty true. <laughs> but the fact that Caltrans had the courage just to put it on a sign, that's outstanding. So this one I found on our campus last year. Have you been to one of those uh, Wednesday night family things? If you haven't, you don't have to have family of any age. Just come. Um, what our student ministries folks do to transform this place, you get a fun meal, you get, and just watching all the chaos that goes on. Last year there was something involved with a lot of traffic signs, and I found this one in front of the FL building, Proceed Only When Clear. I thought if ever a church should have a sign that we would somehow randomly acquire from Caltrans, um, this is a good one for a church to have. We want to be clear. But then there's this. You're just traveling somewhere and you drive along and you run into this sign that says, Beware of road surprises. I'm just pulling over right now, putting it in park and stopping. I'm not going to be looking for road surprises. Thank you very much. I'm good. But then there's this complete Zen moment on this one. I don't know if it was the end of the Union Day on Friday at 5 and they just clocked out. Um, or whether it was really just one of those fill-in-the-blank things. Whatever you need this sign to say, go ahead. Just put it in your mind. That's what's going to happen for the next umpteen miles. I don't know. Well, understanding the circumstances we find ourselves in and the signs around us, that's really a critical task of God's followers. Just this past week, many of us have seen signs that were anything but frivolous or silly like the images I just showed you, right? We've observed a world that's had a very bad, bad week. We've seen a Malaysian passenger jet brought down amidst civil uprising in Ukraine. We've, we've seen escalating violence amongst Palestinians and Israelis. We've seen three die senselessly just up the street over what really was a property dispute. And then there's all the personal stuff and circumstances that we bring into this room today that we're just trying to discern God, what are you saying to me? Are there signs I should be paying attention to? And if so, what do they mean? As followers of Jesus, we want to know, where is God? That's a fundamental ongoing question for us. Where's God? What's He saying to us? What signs should we be paying attention to? Each week we come together here as the family to gather on the weekends and a lot of us also during the week in homes. And we do so because we are looking for this gospel of Jesus to be good news, to, to understand how it's going to inform and shape and direct our lives, both when it's really clear 
but also when things are really, really foggy. As followers of Jesus, we want to understand, God, what are you at work? What are you doing and what's my place? So with that value in mind, let's dig into Acts 16 and see what it has to say to us. In chapter 16 of Acts, last week, Pastor Greg helped us to look at three distinct people, right? And how their unique transformative experience with Jesus became profound good news. We had the Jewish businesswoman, Lydia. We had the servant girl. And we had a Roman soldier. Those encounters are all set up by the passage that was just read for us. You see, every encounter with the gospel has a context. Just like every moment in life has a context. This can be really different. But the strength of the gospel is this remarkable, pliable, permeable message that penetrates. It's an unchangeable message, but the messaging is changeable. This unchangeable message, Jesus dying in our place, being a sacrifice acceptable to God, that if we accept it and we declare Jesus is Lord then we begin to be in right relationship with our Creator. That's the unchangeable Gospel. But the message and how it's communicated, that changes. Because the messengers change. How it gets communicated, that changes as the messengers change. Think about this. This, this pliable message, how it moves across boundaries. How, how somehow it can bring uh, transforming power and change into the life of this successful businesswoman, Lydia, and a Roman soldier. How it can bring life-changing transformation to the hearts of prisoners at the Twin Towers of L.A. County Jail just south of here, as well as the changed hearts of stockbrokers and financial analysts on South Lake Avenue. How does that happen? The Gospel's unchanging, but the way it gets communicated is always changing from context to context. As I spent time in this whole chapter over the last few weeks, two words emerged for me. One is real and one is, well, I kind of made it up, but bear with me. Because these two words just really summarize what this whole passage is about. They are availability and respondability. As I wrote in our, our, our notes this week in the worship folder, the word availability embeds in it in I, this idea that, that of effective service Willing, effective service. It's not just, I've got nothing better to do, therefore I'm available. That's the way I think we tend to use that word. No, the actual root of this word is effect, willingness to serve effectively. And respondability? Well, that'd be the one I made up. But then, I googled, turns out there's 8,000 others of us out there in the world who want this to be a word in English. So join the revolution. I heard Brian just use it during the prayer. I invite you to join the revolution. Let's get respondability a word. So how am I using this made-up word? Simply, it's the openness to respond. Two major themes. Availability, the willingness to serve effectively. Respondability, the openness to respond. Would you join me as I pray? Father, as we engage Your Word... We look at this part of the life of Paul, the story of your kingdom breaking forth, and we invite the Holy Spirit to stir in our hearts and our minds. 
God, availability, we confess, can be really daunting and scary and complicated, but ultimately we believe that is what you're asking of us, to be available. God, I pray, would you ask, would you increase our capacity to respond faithfully, lovingly, and quickly to you as your children and as your church body here today? Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Amen. Over the last 50 years or so, the subject of understanding the complexity of the context has become an important focus in advancing God's mission. It wasn't that this was unknown prior to this, but it has become a major focus as increasingly we have come to understand the role that it must play in assisting the gospel message to move across barriers and boundaries, to penetrate social, cultural, linguistic barriers that separate people from one another and ultimately separate them from hearing the gospel within their culture group. Our passage today starts with a real wake-up call on this subject, especially if you're a young adult leader named Timothy. You know, we can say that being available to God is conceptually all good, But Paul takes us way beyond concept, doesn't he? To understand anything in this passage about context and the transmission of the gospel message, we need to understand what Paul is and what he's not saying about circumcision in Timothy. So, here's what's going on and here's why it's important to us here in Pasadena in 2014. As you can see on screen, Paul has informed us through this letter of Acts that Luke wrote that Timothy was the son of a Greek father... And later on in a letter he writes to Timothy, Paul tells us he had a Jewish mother. We can infer he has a Jewish mother and grandmother. And why is this even important, you ask? Thank you for asking. (laughs) Pastor Greg reminded us last week that Paul's standard beginning of starting Jesus gatherings in a city where Jews already live typically began in a synagogue. The place that spiritual Jews that those seeking God, those who are uniquely prepared to expect the coming Messiah, they would gather there to worship, right? So Paul would seek out those who were ready to believe in Christ, this Messiah. And out of that core group, often, we read the book of Acts, is where this house church movement would begin. So we learn here that Timothy, this uncircumcised Grecian Jew, And with circumcision being an Old Testament requirement as an outward and intensely personal reminder of this unique relationship that God has made with the Jews. They have been sovereignly selected by God and entrusted with the responsibility to carry forth the so-called Abrahamic promise to all peoples. You see it there summarized in the highlights. You have been a blessed people to be a blessing. That's why you've been chosen. And that blessing is your obligation. If you receive it, it's your obligation to carry it to all the peoples and families of the earth. So since Paul started each new outreach among faithful Jews, that is those already under obligation to bring this blessing of life with God to the peoples of the earth, he needed to have Timothy be acceptable to those very Jews. That makes sense? So now, circumcision, let's remind ourselves, that doesn't make Timothy right with God, or anyone else for that matter. They aren't more acceptable to God. Our salvation rests on God's action toward us. For Paul writes later in his his letter to Romans, for it's by grace we've been saved, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we know it's not the action, so what's the point of this? 
The only purpose of Timothy's circumcision act was to remove any cultural barrier that might interrupt the passing of the gospel and keeping Jews from meeting Jesus. This kind of action was undertaken by Paul to lower the barriers between Jesus' followers and those who had yet to hear. Today we have a fancy word in the world of missiology, which is the academic discipline of studying how God's mission unfolds. And that fancy pants words is contextualization. I put my own working definition up on the screen for you. Contextualization is the humble act of the messenger setting aside any unnecessary barrier that might keep the truth of Jesus from being known and understood by the receiver. It's all about the receiver, not the messenger. God's focus is on those who are going to hear the message. That's where Paul underscores this in a big way in his first letter to the church in Corinth. Take a look. As he bottom lines what this means to set your agenda aside. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So to the Jews, like in our story right here, with Timothy, I become like a Jew to win them. To those under the law, the Jews, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under it, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, i.e. the Gentiles, non-Jews, to those not under the law, I became like one not having that law, although I'm free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. And I, did the, I do this so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel. Do you see the bottom line there? Paul's emphasis, whole emphasis here is not on the one who has, who has heard the gospel, it's on the one who has yet to hear it. And removing any barrier that might block that communication. The messenger is always to be a doorway, not a wall that protects what he or she already has. So, let's go back to where we left Paul, Timothy, and their missionary team. Now that we've got a little more sense of their context... And how can you have a message in the book of Acts without a map? I mean, I noticed Pastor Greg couldn't resist last week, so I'm not resisting either. So here's a different map, though, a little variety for you. This is a map of Paul's secondary mission, second missionary journey. And on it, you'll see I've highlighted with a blue box where it begins, and with a red box where we'll find him very shortly in the port city of Troas. And from there, he would head across the Aegean into Macedonia. So now we have some missiological context, that whole circumcision thing. We've got some geographic context. So let's go back and pick up the action in verses 6 to 8. We see Paul's team head out conducting pastoral visits. They're going to cities where Paul previously has planted churches. But then we read something pretty odd here, and frankly something that used to trouble me greatly. Verse 6 finds they are what? Blocked by the Holy Spirit from heading eastward toward Asia. But apparently, from the context, they recognized that this was God's intervention. And so reading the signs correctly, if you will, they now reroute and try and head north, except they find they are restrained again, blocked in the spirit from heading north. And they ultimately begin this, this drift to the northwest, which is the port city of Troas. Commentators think this probably was about six to eight weeks of kind of bumping and meandering around from the time they left 
Lystra until the time they got to Troas. So here's my question. Why? Why? This is Paul and his incredibly gifted team of missionary church planters. This is Paul, who would soon become the major architect of New Testament theology, and God lets them bounce around kind of lost for six to eight weeks. What is going on here? What is God doing? And then the bottom line question I bring to this passage is, It's kind of spooky when I read this thing that they were restrained in the Spirit. What does that mean anyway? And here's the thing. Paul describes it very little. So let's make one observation about Paul in this chapter. Something we know about Paul from the totality of his life. He was a man of prayer. He wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, right? Many of us, one of the first memory verses probably we ever packed away, pray without ceasing. We know he was a man of prayer. So it's safe to assume that during this time of meandering, he was both actively asking and listening because prayer is always both of those things. So again, although Luke chose not to record how the team discerned the signs they received, why did he not record any of that information? Luke, this, this professional doctor, he was good on details. This seems important and he leaves it out. Here's what I think about that. I think he left it out intentionally under God's leading because we as humans have this dangerous tendency to turn anything that works one time into a technique. And we as followers of Jesus are very guilty of that often. As opposed to responding and asking God, what should we do in the moment? It's so easy for us to fall to, oh, this is what he did before. Let's just, let's just do that again. Rinse and repeat. Twice we see God restraining Paul and his team in this passage. And twice we know they responded to it. But we don't know how they discerned it. I think Luke was very intentional on leaving that out. But returning to Paul and his team, I believe both prayer practices, this active asking, this active listening, were in full effect. You know, our senior pastor often observes there's many places in Scripture where it says something like this. It seemed right to them to, whoever the them were and whatever the two is, fill in the blank. In fact, that was the very way that Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the Antioch church in, in Acts 13, right? It says the elders got together, they fasted and they prayed, and it seemed right to them to commission and send Paul and Barnabas. So somehow discerning in the Spirit. So this was something that Paul had experienced many times going all the way back at least until that church in Antioch. It seemed right to them that they would be the sent ones from that church. So I think Paul brought ears to hear. Expectation that God would speak and he would lead. But while this is going on and and while they're moving back and forth, I think if we had Paul at that time and if we sat him down and said, uh, Paul, why are you headed east now? And then subsequently, when he wasn't headed east anymore, why are you headed north now? I think Paul might say something like this. Well, after praying for direction and utilizing our God-given wisdom as best as we understood the situation, we sense that this is the direction God would have us go. And as soon as we sense any change in that, well, then we'll respond then as it seems fit. And that's exactly what we see they did. 
They changed their direction in response to God's direction. They changed their direction in response to God's direction. Luke records these two instances of restraint, but then he tops them all, maybe, in verse 9, with a clear expression of God's absolute direction. We find Paul going to sleep in the port of Troas, probably unsure and questioning and praying actively, only to be given this vision referred to historically as Paul's Macedonian call. This vision of someone calling him to come with his team to Macedonia. And it results in the introduction of Jesus into Europe, and arguably the foundation that led to the greatest expansion in church history up until the last century we just exited. Via Macedonia, Europe comes under the influence of this gospel, and in a few hundred years, sent ones, missionary workers, largely but not exclusively European, have carried this gospel to every continent in all directions. And note here, there's no hesitation from Paul. Verse 10 says, Paul got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. And thus begins this incursion, this breaking forth into this new continent, a whole new chapter of kingdom growth because of his obedience. If this section of Acts were a meal, I see it serving up one main entree, and that's centered on that word availability. But it's also served with a side dish called flexibility. But flexibility is only effective if one also has what Paul demonstrated all the way through this passage of starting and stopping, of seeking signs and discerning. And that's our second word, respondability. We've looked at the historical context. We've explored a bit of the contextual issues. But Scripture is so much more than a history textbook, right? It's our guide for living the kind of abundant life that Jesus said He came to bring. And that's all about our second word, respondability. Following up on what we've, has, God has impressed upon us and led us to. So let's pause here for a moment, for a, minute, per, a, a moment of personal and corporate reflection. One of the questions I always ask missionary workers, especially those in kind of their early development, is, is this. How do you hear from God? How does He communicate with you? How have you learned to distinguish and discern his voice from all the noise and then be able to discern what he's saying to you? Have you asked yourself this question? Or have you asked yourself any of these questions recently? Yep, clearly we've reached that part of the message where the pastor pulls out his license to meddle and starts being a pest. So here we go. How, and I mean this completely literally, how do you hear from God. I wish I had time to take one of these microphones and just walk through the room here today because there are so many of you that I would like to hear just talk about that. Because you have walked in the Spirit and with God for so long, you have learned how to hear from, not perfectly, but well. That could teach so much. But because I took a survey in the first service and no one was willing to wait around here for a week because I think that's how many stories we have, I ask one person to tell one specific story, how they've learned to hear from God, how it has affected things in their life. And so I want to invite Aaron, who read our scripture, back up here to join me on the platform, because this question of how we hear from God was anything but hypothetical for he and his family two years ago, as they experienced a version of really what we read Paul experiencing here, seeking clear, literal direction on where they should be headed 
Aaron and his family, they actually live in the very place that these scenes take place of the chapter of Acts that we are reading today. Getting started and stopped are all part of their own story. So I want you to hear a little bit about Aaron's experience. Uh, thanks, Scott. Um, so if, if you don't know, um, Christy and I have been calling Lake our home since 1998, right after we got married, and all of our children uh, were dedicated here. So this, this is definitely home for us. So it's a real blessing uh, for us to be here. So I wanted to share a little bit about um, what God is doing in our lives uh, in a place quite a ways away from here, uh, as Scott mentioned. Now, when I was that young adult, uh, I was able to go abroad and to study his word and to serve him. Actually, uh, not see God at work, not just uh, in my own community, but at work among the nations. And I learned to share God's love in Europe to his children that did not know him. And I fell in love with the people there, and I even drew closer to the Lord than I ever had before. But I was only, only did that for one year, and then I returned to the U.S., but there was something in my heart that I, I'd hoped to be able to go back one day. So many years later, after getting married and starting a family with my wonderful wife, Christy, um, I really had that longing again to go back. Um, so as we were finishing the adoption process with our son, we learned of a local agency that was in need of teachers to send to Eastern Europe. As I was a teacher at the time and an adjunct instructor at APU, I felt that this would be a perfect fit with my gift set and my desire to return to a familiar place. Even Christie seemed on board with this idea, but little did we know we would be on a roller coaster ride. Soon after dialoguing with the agency, we were told that we would not be going to country A, but that B would be just as rewarding. Not long after we officially responded to God's call by joining the agency, we were told that country B was not an option any longer either. They asked us to consider option C, which happened to be Asia Minor. In all honesty, we knew nothing of this area other than it was much more different culturally, religiously, and ethnically than where we wanted to go. I was confused, I was frustrated, somewhat scared, even somewhat angry. Are we supposed to stay home if we can't go to the place where we feel we should go? So what was God telling us with these so-called roadblocks? Well, we knew that there was one thing that we needed to do, and that was to pray. So we went on our knees, went to the Lord in prayer, and we asked others to pray for us as well about our next steps. And we realized that God was asking us to be available and willing to go where he wants us to go, whether that would be right here in San Gabriel Valley or even if that meant going to Asia Minor. So we responded with a yes. Was it like stepping off a cliff? Of course. Are we being stretched in our faith on a daily basis? Of course. Even after saying yes to Asia Minor, we were told that we could end up in any number of cities. We were even placed in a city with no other Christians and no team apart from our own family. But through it all, God has opened up some wonderful opportunities for us. Uh, I teach English at an amazing university. Christy teaches English and music at just an outstanding primary school, and our children get to go there free of charge. Uh, we live on a university campus 
and we're being able to build wonderful relationships with people there and on the campuses of our schools, and we're able to share the love of Jesus with these people, even though they're so much, they're so different from us, but they need, they need Jesus' love. And through prayer, we even have some single adults uh, from the U.S. that are coming and serving alongside of us. God is always faithful, even when we are not. When we are faithful and available to Him, when we respond with a yes to His leading of us, no matter where that may be, He blesses us in ways that are beyond what we could ever hope for or imagine. Thank you, Aaron, Christy, and family for your story of both availability and respondability. You know, one, one without the other, it would, have, it would have aborted what God was trying to do, what He wanted to do, what He's take joy, taking joy in doing, both through Paul's missionary band and, and through you guys taking your profession and moving it overseas. Together, church family, availability and respondability can produce a fruitfulness beyond anything our striving alone could ever accomplish. Let's finish up this story and be reminded what Paul's availability and respondability accomplishes. Paul and his band, they, they, they catch a ship now to Greece, and this is the way I picture it. I see one of those barefoot cruises. I see them working on their tan all day, ruining their, their New Year's resolution to eat healthier at night. Um, and three days later, it's probably how long it took them to get there. Okay, it was something like that probably. They arrive, and what do we see? They arrive in Greece, and they sense God's leading, and they blow right through a couple of potential stops. It would have been obvious stops. Instead, they have this momentum from the Spirit. And the text says in 11 and 12, they end up in a city called Philippi. And one of the stories that Pastor Greg unpacked last week unfolds, the surprising story of Lydia. In verses 13 and 15, Lydia and her household have become the cornerstone of the first recorded house church movement in Europe. And our passage ends ends today with this stunning result. Lydia, described in verses 13 to 15, as exactly the kind of person that Jesus has told his his apostles to look for. This is actually recorded by the same author of Acts, Luke. In Luke 10, he records Jesus telling his disciples, I want you to be sent ones, go out to these villages, and I want you to look for a person of peace, he tells them. That is, one who's been uniquely prepared to hear and receive the gospel, not just to keep it to themselves, but they are uniquely prepared to receive it and then pass it along. They are a connector. They are hardwired into the social nature of the community. Look for a person of peace. The story of the sending out of the 72 disciples in Luke 10 implies God God has some readied in every village, in every apartment, in every city to play this critical role that will see the gospel break forth. This critical role of taking the ancient blessing promised to Abraham, inherited by us, that is to be taken to all peoples and all families of the earth. They are waiting. And what are they waiting for? And waiting for? And waiting for? But a messenger. Someone like Aaron and his family. Someone who will carry the message. And waiting for someone like us. A church family who says, we're going to help that happen. We're going to see that happen. Look what, what Paul wrote later to the church in Rome. He asked these questions. How then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Lake family, I am really excited that next weekend, here's a sneak preview, we are going to be commissioning three new lake workers to be sent from this place to other places. Three young adults who were born literally into this family, raised up here to follow Christ, and now that following will take them to other places. Next weekend, we will commission three. That's great news. That's great news. That's your preview of coming attraction. But coming back to where we are today, what's in this for us? So in conclusion, how about some principles and practices that each of us can learn from Paul in this passage? How about number one? Stay available. Paul was ready to be sent. He was sent to Asia Minor and then he went on to southern Europe. How ready are you? Are you ready to be sent to the end of your block and the neighbor you haven't met yet? Are you ready? Are you available? Or, or some of us, when you see a job posting transfer opportunity and you hear it's living in a community, maybe in Northern California, I think of Fremont, which is filled full of Arabic-speaking refugees. Wow, would you consider taking that transfer? Are you available? Are you ready to be a light in a place like that? Or are you ready to take your profession maybe even all the way overseas, like Aaron has, and Christy have taken theirs? Are you available? Are you ready? Aaron and his family were both available and ready, even if they didn't know it at the time, <laughs> that ultimately they would be sent into Asia Minor. In fact, the city that they live is only a few hundred kilometers from where Acts chapter 16 takes place. And friends, did you catch the fact that they're here this weekend? And I need to tell you, um, we scheduled them just to come and read some scripture this weekend while they were going to be here in Pasadena for about six weeks, long before this passage was chosen for this weekend. They were scheduled to read scripture. And I said, Aaron, we've got to have you tell your story because you aren't going to believe the passage of scripture that somehow God has brought us to this Weekend. And let me just make this as plain as I can. In the passage we just read, Paul wanted to go where? To Asia Minor. And he was restrained in the spirit. Where did he end up? Southern Europe. Aaron and his family wanted to go to Southern Europe. And they got rerouted twice. And where did they end up? Asia Minor. And this is the weekend that we just arbitrarily put on the calendar months ago for them to read a little scripture. Wow. 2,000 years have passed. God is still in the same business. He's breaking down barriers. He's taking His message from willing messengers and taking it to new responders, new hearers. Which brings us to lesson two. We must practice a high degree of respondability. We see it in Paul. We see it in his team. We've heard it from Aaron and his family. Availability and respondability. You put those together and now it's all about our responsibility these lessons are for us individually and they're for us corporately have you heard this old saying man plans god laughs just as we must seek out god's will individually so we need to seek it out corporately through this this listening and active prayer thing and and friends and lake family we are trying 
your church leadership, every level of staff and congregational leadership, we are trying to listen more proactively while continuing to plan thoughtfully and thoroughly, but also to hold on more loosely as Paul did and is clearly demonstrated in this chapter of Acts. And that strikes me, and I hope you agree with this, as something profoundly healthy in the life of any church. Listen in prayer actively. Plan for ministry faithfully. And hold on to our ministry plans loosely because maybe God's going to send us in a different direction. May God find our church willing to wander in our own metaphorical mountains of Asia Minor, mystified at many times about our own inability to discover the right direction, our own questions about the directions, but then ultimately being amazed by God's redirection. And all the while, both individually and corporately together, we are relentlessly be found, that we would relentlessly be pursuing God's clear leading so that when received, we have responsibility, like Paul's, who after receiving the vision in Troas, got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel there. So how are you doing at being available, church? Where's God giving you vision that you need to respond to? Where would He make His, known, His name known through you that you need to respond to? And how for us as Lake Avenue Church, how are we doing at being available? When God speaks... How are we doing at being respondable? God has given us a mission. He is faithful to complete. And He is inviting us in. Paul was faithful, beginning with his availability. Paul was faithful because he had respondability. And now it's your turn. And it's my turn. And that means it's our turn. Pray with me. God, availability is at times intimidating, at times terrifying. There will be times where we will wrestle with you. But God, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, that's why we call ourselves followers. Because we want to follow you, Jesus. And so find us available. Grow in us hearts individually and corporately that are available to you. Grow us in obedience that we might be more respondable to you. Father, we thank you that you will remain faithful to complete the mission you have begun and that you have chosen to invite us to faithfully play our role. So Father, fresh and anew, we accept our role in that and we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith, to complete the good work you have, be done, you have begun. We pray this in the unsurpassed name of Jesus.